Welcome to Growing Up Fire with Jamie Coots. Seahawk, it is our commitment to you that you have complete access to the top professionals, industry experts, and products for your fire service. We stand by the service and products we provide. We are proud of our past, and we are constantly listening to our customers and exploring new ways to bring better options to the fire service. This is Seahawk. High level, safety, service, security. Please visit our website at www.seahawkservice.ca or give us a call at 1-888-791-4210. Welcome to Growing Up Fire, Season 3, Episode 20. I got Ryan Coots in the house, fan favorite here, talking about the 2023 deployments. So this will be a good conversation because we actually, for the first time in years, got to work together again. It wasn't for long, but, well, I don't know, 24 hours seems long. <laughs> yeah, and it's all straight. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, 2023 deployments, we've, I've been doing lots of shows about that because there was lots of work to do, obviously. Kind of started slow, March, April, you guys came out, you and Patrick and Glenn came out and did some training. And I like to just hash that a little bit because I think the guys there didn't really know why you guys were there or what we were up to. I think for most of them, first time they ever really burned grass for hazard reduction. And so do you remember some of those conversations? Yeah, I think it definitely, everyone is like, oh, well, it's just fighting a grass fire or whatever. And then changes the the looks on faces when you start lighting your own fires. And then it really changes when the finished product comes out and they see how that fire could have got bad if it wasn't controlled. And it was just a grass fire that started instead. So it's always fun doing... Uh, like live burns anytime you you know do it for it'd be like going to a fire department that doesn't have a live fire center and you light it up for the first time right so it's pretty cool i think there's lots of lots of happy faces by the time we were done so yeah to me it was funny because i'd been discussing all this stuff and hazard reduction like we don't really do that here and we don't have that many grass fires and i was like yeah but what about this area and that area and why you know and then we end up going all these grass fires And so it was fun to get out there. For me, I mean, as we go through this, we'll talk more about that, right? Lessons learned and things we got to do in the future. But hazard reduction burning is definitely one of those things. Like we need to teach people how to do it safely, properly, and more of it so that we can start to secure these areas where fires can burn through, right? We came up in a special place in Slave Lake where there was a lot of action and a lot of train tracks run east to west. And the north-south is surrounded by bush on both sides of the town. And so hazard reduction burning some years we did a hundred acres probably some years we did five or six some years we couldn't get any in but i wasn't used to zero so it was funny to get those guys going and like you say by the end i felt like they're a little bit okay we're a little more comfortable we know what you're doing we know why these torches are here but when are we ever going to use this (laughs) and then lo and behold may hits and it's crazy so i don't know if you remember or not but that first conversation you and i had right it was kind of starting to spin up in the north and i called you and i was like hey i'm coming up for the weekend so do you remember that one yeah definitely it was kind of a weird one for us because there was lots of fires around us but nothing happening in our area early on which was definitely a blessing i think we got to 
pick and choose, you know, where we went and who we helped and and stuff like that. And for the first little bit, we said no to quite a few of the first requests just because our area was super hot and dry too, right? So that was kind of the holding pattern I think we were in when we first had our conversation. It was, there's lots of potential, lots, lots around that could be bad. And we had gotten probably two or three requests to go pretty far away. And we did send a crew, you know, way up north, but for the most part, we were holding a lot of our resources back. You just don't want to be the donkey that uh, doesn't have any equipment left when when your town or area catches on fire. And that was kind of right across the province. It was don't fart or it was going to start a fire. So we had a couple scares along the ditch and stuff, and we just decided it was time to keep our stuff back. And we were pretty strategic. So it was definitely, I think, you coming up was the knowledge of an experience in the past of, you know, it's probably going to get bad. And I guess maybe you come up and we hang out for the weekend and it doesn't get bad. Then that's just a good weekend of visiting. But the cards were definitely laid on the table to be a, a bad weekend and a bad start. And I think by that point, you know, Parkland had been getting their ticket punched there for quite a bit and they were having a hard time getting resources because no one wanted to release any resources. And, you know, the government piece hadn't really fired up yet to get them resources. They're in the white zone. Lots of issues there, right? But and so as you could see them struggling to try and get people to release and go there, you know, I kind of started to wonder how's this season going to go if everyone just keeps their resources at home we're going to be in trouble. And it, it didn't take a week and that was over and everyone was sending everything they could and your stuff would be gone, but that's okay because it's backfilled by some other stuff. And even us Southerners got to get in on it, right? Which was kind of unusual. The South is typically this time of year, September, October, which is funny because as we're recording this, there's resources headed to high level, which was one of the hottest places in the province yesterday. So yeah, the weather is crazy different year for sure yeah (laughs) you don't really know where it's gonna rain or if it's gonna rain and what's dry and what's not in Chestermere I don't think it probably rained three days all summer can't remember the last time it rained and so it's super dry down there right yeah so May it is right and it was kind of getting crazy and we're starting to get the government was hinting around that there's some work if anyone wanted to go and take it and Parkland's doing like an all call to get whoever and and it was fun for me to sit back and go wow, all this knowledge I have about weather, all this knowledge I have about topography and deployments, and I could actually see what was about to happen. Super easy to say after months and months of firefighting, but you could just like, from all our experience, you could see what was going to happen. And so I had said to my boss, like, you know, Alberta's in trouble here. What what do you think? And lucky, got a really supportive boss. And he's like, yeah, we'll do what we can do, but we're a small a small piece of this puzzle, right? We have 24 full-time people. So, but it was good. We, you know, we put out the call and everybody went to work and, and that part is quite a bit different than the paid on call world that I'm used to. Right. Yeah. I think that's the biggest takeaway so far from, I just did an interview last week with the guy and it's the same thing. I, I think the biggest takeaway from this year is that we finally got to use so many resources from across the province. Cause if you look into BC and stuff, right, like they dump, from everywhere across that province, right? It's not abnormal to see a North Van truck in Prince George area or or further, right? So it's good. I think typically in the past, we haven't seen anything quite as bad. And when the big events happen like Fort Mac and some of those, it definitely... uh, you definitely start to see the Edmontons and the Calgary's and like the, the big manpower. But for us to, I remember that, you know, the night we're in high prairie jumping ahead a little bit, we, we call and we ask for resources and they say, yeah, we're sending an engine from Tabor. And we kind of looked at each other like, 
where does that come from? Yeah, like, where's Tabor? I know Tabor, but that's a long ways away. Yeah. <laughs> right. So it's one of those funny things like, oh, that it's going to take a little while for them to get here. But it's nice to see that everyone was involving themselves because we just, quite frankly, couldn't have handled it without all the Southerners who don't normally come north. Right. No, for sure. And, and you know, I'm there from Chestermere, so that seems like far away. And then Tabor's like another hour and a half, hour, 45 minutes farther south. And so you're doing all these things and it was nuts, right? This is one of those years, though, where, I mean, I definitely felt like there was not enough experienced people everywhere that I went. There's enough to get it done and keep everyone safe, but they just didn't have the experience. Obviously, we built a lot now this year, but it still was always good. I don't remember the one night we were sitting there and we had a, it was a massive burn pile had caught on fire and it was just shedding sparks all over the place. And all of a sudden that Westlaw County tender showed up, that super tanker, things like three axles, 5,000 gallons. And we're like, remember that? We'd actually seen it before in Slave Lake and it would worked with us before. And so all of a sudden you're like pumped because you got like the biggest tender in the fleet just showed up and people that know how to run it, right? Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, it was definitely a good thing to have people from all over the place. And I think hopefully it's something that we think of next year and hopefully it gets the people that are from the south involved in the wooey training and stuff too right which is awesome for the the wooey side of things and the courses that we do it's you know i think finally people in the past have been like ah we don't need that right like why we're not going to put sprinklers on houses we have grass fires but you know it's good to have those courses or send a few guys at least to those courses so that when they do get deployed it's like oh we have a knowledge of right like it's hard to bring people up that never put sprinklers on houses because they don't need to in their area but then they get up north and it's like oh we need to put sprinklers on houses right so it's good to have that training and you never know right like it's i was in nova scotia in april and one of the things that i talked about was a lot about leadership and order from chaos and we talked about wildfires right they'd asked me to do some stuff on water tender shuttles and wildfires and so i'm sitting there with 140 firefighters throughout the day and a lot of them at the end are like i had no idea like Thanks for coming. Thanks for the lesson. I don't, we don't really get those kind of big fires, but super cool to hear all that and see the pictures and, and think of the hazards and have the discussions. And then fast forward a month later, they're having the biggest forest fire they had in Nova Scotia in many, many years, right? So a lot of those firefighters were reaching out after being like, crazy lucky that we went to that course and your voice was in my head so many times talking about safety and different things. And so you just never know when you're teaching when they're going to use it or if they're going to use it or how they're going to use it, right? Well, and like in a province where they're used to the disasters and they get lots of flooding and lots of, you know, the hurricanes, one of the only hurricane places in Canada. But this year they just absolutely got their ticket punched over and over and over again. And it's crazy and cool, I guess, that, you know, it's just like this spectrum of burning in a province that doesn't normally burn all the way to you know what they're dealing with right now in the aftermath of the hurricane or the tropical storm i guess by that point but still right there's so much kind of one of those who can keep track right it's like they were having a hurricane then they were having a fire then they were having a flood then they're having another hurricane and we have so many friends that we reach out to there and you're you can't keep up with what disaster they're having this week, right? Actually even let out a full-on laugh, belly laugh this morning because one of my friends put on his Facebook, uh, happy hurricane-free weekend. Everybody enjoy <laughs> yeah. yourself, right? It's like, you know, finally a weekend where nothing happened. When you look back at all of his posts, it was, yeah, it was crazy. So, like, we're heading out there in a couple of weeks, so yep. it's uh, excited to get out there and kind of see the aftermath and talk to everyone. We'll do a bunch of podcasts and get everybody caught up on the world as Nova Scotia sees it, but it is crazy. 
So for us, the summer or the spring, I guess, started harsh. I drove up and and I was talking to you. You were out in a small community just west of Slave Lake. And I was like, you want me to come out there? And you're like, no, I think you're going to need your rest. So just go to bed. I can't remember what time I got there. And I don't know if you remember that night much. You were pretty tired probably. but Yeah, I just remember you coming up. And my initial thought was this is we're in it for the long haul, right? We were, I, like I said, I don't, like you said, I don't know what time you got up, but I remember texting you and thinking it should be dying down soon. And it, it just wasn't dying down, right? We had that, that fire that carried through the night lots and you just said, right, I'll keep my phone on and call me when you need me. And it definitely was something that was in our heads that there was a good chance that we're going to need to do some more work for multiple days on end. And that night was a killer for me. Your mom had bought me a I watch and when it goes to sleep time it actually cuts off all the calls and so for I don't know the last 33 years my cell phone has been on 24 hours a day and people have called me 24 hours a day and I went to bed knowing that it's no big deal I'll wake up because I always wake up when people call but do you remember what happened? yeah yeah I called <laughs> you the first time and it rang once and went straight to voicemail and I was like well that's weird because like he's either on the phone but it's like two in the morning right now and she shouldn't be or it's on sleep. And luckily I thought of it because Sarah keeps hers on do not disturb <laughs> all the time. And every time I call her, no matter what time of the day, I have to call twice to finally get it to break the the <laughs> sleep mode. And then it rings. And so I called you back right away and you could tell as soon as you answered the phone, I knew that you were definitely sound asleep because you woke up pretty tired. Oh, boy, and, yeah. <laughs> One year, like I tried calling you, but it went to voicemail. I was like, I slept through my phone the first time in 33 years. What What's yeah. wrong with my brain, right? Yeah. <laughs> but now that that's a whole other subject. What's yeah. wrong with my brain? But that yeah, was crazy. So anyways, you had told me, go and help out Big Lakes County. I think I had to be there for 8 o'clock in the morning or maybe 7 o'clock in the morning or something. And so I was like, okay, cool. How are you doing? And, you know, you're just describing fire that we get in the middle of July on a windy, hot day. And it's two o'clock in the morning and it's like, you shouldn't be having the fire that you're talking about, right? Yeah. It took more than a few minutes to go back to sleep as I was thinking about all those bad years where the fire burnt like that, right? It's still HFI rank six in the middle of the night. And you're like, uh, what? Yeah, you not know? good. <laughs> how's, yeah, how's that possible, right? And it's yeah. the wind's still howling and the fire's still going and it's super dry and you get no recovery, no rebound, no nothing, right? So... It changed. It was crazy. So anyways, got up in the morning and went down and there was no one around, right? You guys were still out fighting a good fight, I think. And so just jumped my truck and booked her off to, to Big Lakes County where I got there just in time to hit the fire was just hitting all the neighborhoods and the houses there. So, Which is a wild one because I think that night we finally got released from East Prairie. I think it finally got cool enough and died down and we didn't see any active flame from where we were protecting the school where we were and finally you know the the chief there's like just just go home like we're gonna need you guys tomorrow so we packed up our stuff at five in the morning drive home you know we probably just missed each other by an hour maybe on the highway and i think i remember getting home 6 30 or something and i finally go to bed and pass out immediately and so you know five o'clock it finally dies down you're out there by eight o'clock or just before eight o'clock and it's already starting to go again right like it's already starting to ramp up so like you say you know normally we get that recovery time of 10 p.m until 10 a.m like it's it's on a normal year 12 hours of recovery for us is very normal and this year yeah we were maybe getting three four hours max which nothing normal about this 
this year. Yeah. And it was funny for me because I got there and uh, Lucy right away, she's like, oh, Jamie's here with the Slave Lake truck and Slave Lake people. And she's running around trying to, and I was like, flagged her down. I was like, it's just me. I'm just here by myself. So I'm, I'm happy to help out like where you want me. Right. And she's yeah. like, well, the fire's just coming through the back of this property right now. And, and so we got to kind of join in the chaos immediately. I don't think it was more than maybe two hours. So you'd only been home a couple hours and I'm already calling you being like, Hey, is there supposed to be a truck up here with me? Or do you know anything about this? So what was it, maybe two hours later after yeah, that? Yeah, I think they got a slave crew on the way. And then I slept from 6.30. And I think I woke up at about 9.30 and it was to my phone just vibrating and vibrating. And I wake up and there's like two missed calls from you, six missed calls from Chief and a bunch <laughs> of text messages. And I'm like, oh, no. And so I, I wake up and I call Chief back and I start getting my stuff on. And Alex says, where are you going? I said, well, I guess back to work. And he's only been home for three hours. <laughs> yeah. So I packed all my stuff up and we get back to the hall and I'm exhausted, obviously stop and get the biggest coffees that I can and some energy <laughs> drinks and whatever yeah. else. And start can you fill back this out bucket, there. please? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. So yeah, it was, you know, quick three hour recovery and obviously three hours I needed to push through. But then the next day we did another 36 hour shift, I think. So yeah, I don't think that was our plan, right? That's it's never your plan to go out there and crush thirty six hours straight. It's you get over there and and I think by ten o'clock they'd got more resources out there and people kind of broke into teams and we kind of had some task force going and Jason and Trevor and Lucy kind of had things under control. So I was like, okay, well now what else, right? I said, oh, back to East Prairie. So okay, sounds good. I'll head to East Prairie. Called you and you were gonna divert your trucks into East Prairie to help out and meet me there because you were you'd been there already. So I was like, okay, that's good. Like I'm I'm getting good support. I'm gonna have a couple trucks. Another guy that knows what he's doing. Like this should be good, right? Not knowing at all what had happened because we passed on the highway. I had no idea what had transpired there through the night and since then and so i passed a bunch of forestry resources coming out and i was like okay hey, good sign right because <laughs> i'm heading in there and turns out those guys were all had probably worked all night and were getting retasked or sent home for some sleep and i got in there i'm driving around by myself in my pickup going uh-oh right finally run into mike turcott which was good at least now there's two people in here that know what they're doing and he had his whole crew with them so they had their engine and they're running around and and so I think I got one whole lap in, lost, completely lost the whole time <laughs> on there, and then met up with you. And I think we we're just starting to tackle that kind of grass fire. Yeah, but a perfect example of throughout those next 36 hours of Big Lakes County is not a small place. They got lots of fire halls, lots of resources, lots of people. Slave Lake is not a small place, lots <laughs> yeah. of people, lots of, but really like it was Slave Lake, High Prairie and Big Lakes County, a couple from the the settlements that had their own trucks and stuff. And But like on a normal year, if we had that fire in those areas, we would just call and dump half of the Northeast on that fire or that Northwest story on that fire. And we just didn't have the ability to do that, right? You call and yeah, well, we don't really have any resources left. So, you know, do what you can. And it was the first time I'd ever been at an event that big where you look around and I knew everyone because they all worked with us right, and worked right with there. us all the time, right? <laughs> yeah. Like it's, I, we know Big Lakes County, we know High Prairie, obviously know all the lesser slave people. So it's, it's hard because you, you look around and normally you're trying to meet people and figure out what their capabilities are, but we knew what their capabilities were because it was just the people just that us, that's yep. it. Right. So, yeah. And they didn't really add a bunch more till later on in the afternoon. And 
So there you are in East Prairie trying to get figured out. And, and I remember the field where we parked where you finally pulled up and found us. It was just a bunch of good people from East Prairie that were pitching in. They had an old fire truck there and then ourselves and they had brought a cat. And so I remember telling the guy, you know, just go in there, take it to mineral soil, go around the creek, tie it in there, go back to the house, right? Tie it into the road. And, and uh, the guy's just staring at me. And I was like, yeah, I don't have a clue what I just said, right? And he's like, no, never been on a forest fire. But he said, I'm really good at running this cat. And I was like, okay, yeah, that's good. That's <laughs> yeah. the best starting point, right? Yeah. And so I walked him along and said, do this. And, you know, just take the grass off, get down to the dirt. And we want to go right to the creek and we want to go right to the road. And he's like, oh, I totally get what you're saying now. So he takes off and he's... And as he's building it, we start lighting. So he stops and he's like, what's happening? It's like, well, once you build that guard, we're going to burn away from it. And everyone started being like, oh, I get what you're doing here, right? And so all these guys that had lots of firefighting experience, but maybe forest firefighting experience or good cat experience, and it all starts to kind of come together, right? Which was good because then your truck showed up and we're able to immediately go and start actioning. They'd had some losses by then already. So people are rattled for sure, right? But when you first pulled up there, what were you thinking? Oh, definitely. I just couldn't believe because the the night before we were at the school till 5 a.m. But previous to that, throughout the day before, we left Slave around lunchtime. And when we were going out there, we called it the church road. I'm sure they call it something else, but it's the road you turn down. And that's where the fire came into. And it was a weird day because we waited and waited and we knew it was coming, but we waited, waited, waited. And then finally, in like the late afternoon, we just got our asses handed to us for a while right there's this long road spread out properties made some really good saves in there lost a lot of stuff too but so i think the next morning we knew how bad it was but we didn't know exactly where the fire was because we were protecting the school and we could see the fire coming so we knew it was on that church road area but the next day getting there after not really knowing how far it came the night before to know from the field we were in to where we were yesterday, like it traveled a long ways, right? So to not even be worried about that stuff anymore. And now we're focusing on this whole new area. I think that was the biggest thing for me, just like, oh, wow, it really made it this far overnight, right? And and now trying to refocus on a new area that we weren't in the day before. Well, I think in those smaller areas, you can almost, your memory banks can handle looking at every house and remembering what you have to do if you have to come back to that house. And, and it was funny because everyone else had the same. I remember one where like, go to the two-story house nice big green yard around it forest in the back right up to the deck and everyone just like boom i know exactly where you're talking about and they'd go there and sprinkler some stuff right and then we was like hey where the two dogs were outside and the side of the house was burnt we got to go to that okay boom everyone knows exactly it's like how can you catalog places like that but you can right and you're working with forestry and people that you know and trust there and your own crews that you know and trust so it was easy to kind of and I got to be honest, like within minutes of hooking up with these prairie guys, it was like, they know what they're doing. We trust them. Let's yeah. just, right. So now yeah. how do we work together and how do we. Yeah. Some really good wildfire experience. I think from a lot of those guys that decided to stay back and help, definitely their, their leader there is very switched on and can tell that he worked in the forest <laughs> yeah. area for a long time. And that was, that was really nice to have. Cause even the day before, right. When we were getting our, our asses handed to us on that church road, it was, it was really good because, you know, they knew what to do. They knew where the safety zones were. They knew, you know, what their truck could do and what it couldn't do. And a you know, old pumper, oh, yeah, you know, definitely know. a lot different than the trucks that we use yeah. today. 
day, right? So it was awesome having those guys there. And it was nice. I think by the time I got back the next morning, there's just a lot of trust that they knew what they were doing and that you could just task them with something and they knew that they were going to, you knew it was going to get done, right? Because we got to see them in the worst of the worst the day before. And yeah. Yeah. You know, even when we were telling him tight line around that one house there and he crashed through the bush and he's just like, what's that guy doing? Oh, wait, you guys, we they don't understand all our terms. Like, so when you explain something, explain it fully what you yeah. want done. Oh, okay, no problem. Then you do. And then every house they would learn and get better and better yeah. and better. It's like, oh, I totally. And then you'd come back and say, see what happened? The fire stopped there. Right. Now we know exactly what we're doing, right? For a young department like ours, I think we talk a lot. We've had some some turnover in the last few years and we have a lot of young people that were the most eager to come and help and stuff. And I think that was the big thing was it was cool this year. You do a wee course and you see the training impact them. And by the time they come from you know Thursday morning to when they leave on Sunday afternoon, you see their skills progress and they're gaining so much knowledge in the training side of things. This year was cool because you live got to see experience actually gaining, right? Just like training, teaching a course, they go out and they do something. And like you said, each house, they're getting better. And you're literally, you know, for me watching these young people on, on our fire service and they're doing these awesome crazy things and then the next house like they're just they know how to do that piece and then the next house there's something else and they get through it and then the house after that they do the same thing and they they do it right and it's cool to you don't often get to see experience growing because experience is usually something that comes with time but here it was just experience was growing by the, yeah. the minute it was exponential right? and it was fast right it's like you know everyone hates painting but you start painting and when you're all done you take a step back and go hey i painted this whole wall well this was almost like that because each house was getting better and better and better and then you could take three or four of those people and split them off completely by themselves even though they didn't have years of experience and as long as someone was checking on them and telling them what to do they could just keep going right that was pretty cool that community suffered a lot of loss it was it was sad to be there, but it was also one of those good things where you get to see a lot of people doing a, good, a lot of good work and everyone's doing the best they can. And, and you know there's no resources because at the same time, we know what's happening everywhere else and in, in the province and there's just no more resources. Just so. in that area alone, right? The, we had sprinkler set up on Swan Hills Highway, which is 100 or 80 kilometers back from where we were. And <laughs> there's, you know, high prairies fighting the fight because it came pushed right through into their area the, the night before, right? So just in your own little area, you know, there's no resources to pull because there's three other, same fire, but three other areas that need to be looked after, right? So and to me, it was a great day because we were making progress and we were learning with people and we're teaching people. And then we went close to the water plant, which was a bad mistake because then our phone started to work. <laughs> yeah. yeah, And we get the call to say, hey, you know what? Like the chiefs that we were going to replace or to help out, basically they'd worked for the day all through the night and now it's getting close to supper time and they're like, we know we're done. We know we need some, we have to get back to our fire halls. We have to get back to our families. We got to regroup. We got to get the three hours of sleep that you got the night before. So we're like... I don't know. What do you think? Right. So they're basically asking us to go there and fill one position, but two of us. So we're like, okay, I think one of us can sleep. One of us can stay awake. Let's do it. Also hard because 
I think there was two of us and they were kind of asking to take over one position, but they also had two fire chiefs plus a deputy chief that were all kind of taking care of their own stuff. So I think for us, we kind of thought, oh, you know, there's two of us going to take over one position. That should be easy. And then we get there and we realize that they had some great officers on day shift. They had three chiefs on day shift. And now all of a sudden we're coming in and not that we didn't have some great officers on night shift, but those are new officers that maybe were doing something else and now they're coming into work night. So we lose that common ground of what's happening. And now all of a sudden they're all leaving and we're coming in as just two people. And <laughs> it was definitely a shock, I think for me, oh, two people doing the job of one person, that's going to be easy. And then all of a sudden you lost a lot of that experience throughout the day on what they were doing. And now all of a sudden it's two people with a whole bunch of new other people trying to learn. And, and never your typical night shift, right? Like a typical night shift, those people slept all day had a good meal. Now they're coming in rested to work nights. This is like all the people that worked all day or fought fires other places. They've had a couple hours to grab a bite and now they're here to crush a night shift with us. And so you could see it. You could see it in every single person that we went by, the fatigue in their face, mm -hmm. the fatigue in their equipment. The I don't know how much later I can stay. And so like through the night, we just kept losing people and losing people. And, and you have to, right? It's like, hey, just shut her down for a couple hours, grab some Zs and but for me, it was a great, I loved it because it was like, man, we're finally on a fire together, right? And I tricked you right at the start. I got all the call signs and everything, but then told everybody on the radio that you were going to be the IC. <laughs> <laughs> so I got to just sit back and take the notes and kind of be the IC too, which was perfect for me. But it was good. I, I was like happy to be in that spot where it's like, I totally trust you to run all this. I'm not as much into this SPU and wildland stuff anymore. So I could take a back seat and kind of help out where I can. And, and right from the first few minutes, it's like, okay, we're going to change some call signs. We're going to change some tasking. We're going to, what's the next thing we got to do? Well, let's go and drive and see all these places. We don't even know all these places. Everyone else is local. Yeah. And just like go to Bernie's house, turn right. And then you go to the, yeah. you know, we're like, ah, what? Trying right. to direct people on that. I think I think the hardest part is we were trying to direct people in an area we didn't know, and we're trying to use like the official terms, and they're using the Gilwood Road, and yeah. the, it's like, whoa, what? Like that's Range Road, this because we had to use a map because we don't know those <laughs> those terminologies, right? So it didn't take long, a oh, couple yeah. hours, and and we'd be like, what do you guys call this road? Yeah. What do you guys call this house? What do you call that? And you start to learn their language and, and go through it, right? I think but, I wrote on more windshields <laughs> and the side of trucks and I had a Sharpie and a paint marker and, uh, you know, all kinds of stuff. And I kept getting pictures of the different places that I wrote with LOL and a text message to me with a picture of something that I wrote on at some point. And yeah. it was kind of just all bets are off. And I'm sure there's lots of Citral and Spray 9 that had to come to people's trucks. <laughs> Some at the pissed end of off it. car wash people. Like <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Acres Emergency Vehicles, a message from our community. A person who is risking his or her life to save the lives and properties of others deserves something as reliable as an Acres Emergency Vehicle. This is our mission, to thank these people with the best gift we can, our best effort. Our commitment includes a firefighter-driven design, manufacturing integrity, personal and professional service. We are here to serve. We guarantee personal and professional service every step of the way. Acres Emergency Vehicles, built for a life of service. Please visit our website at www.acresev.ca. But it was good. I mean, to me, there was all those little intricacies, right? Because forestry is working right there and they're in charge of all their crews. 
we're just in charge of the wooey crews. And then there was some bands of people that are just working on their own house or, you know, they're from down the road and they're trying to help out. And you're like, I don't know if they're supposed to be here or not. I don't know who they work for. And those rogue cat groups down the go <laughs> yeah, road, right? Like, like, yeah. do, you, do you guys know what you're doing? Who do you work for? Yeah. Like, we're pretty sure you're not on our list. Are you with forestry? And not that they were doing anything wrong or bad, right? But trying to keep track of it all was... I think the biggest shout out of that one has to go to to Megan and the Beast because we just pulled up and we were in our briefing with the other three chiefs taking over and we were one range road away from pulling the trigger on evacuating High Prairie and right as we're sitting there at that big shop that was on fire the fire jumps the road and I'm like, we're going to be taking over for these guys. And in the first half an hour, and also knowing that all of those guys live in high prairie. So they're going to try and get some time off. Yeah, we and can't call if, them back. Yeah, exactly. Right. I can't call them back in 30 minutes and say, actually, you're not allowed to sleep in your house anymore because we're evacuating high prairie. So yeah, I jumped there and I remember Megan jumped on it with the beast and got it, you know, just before it got to that clump of trees. And I still owe our success that night to her because if she didn't jump on that and get that, I think we would have probably made it to the next range road and we would have looked like the doofuses that only were there yeah. for half an hour and had to evacuate yeah. a whole town. Was this a setup? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. No. And I mean, that goes back to running into people that you trust, right? Like, so then you say, Hey, this is the line we're trying to hold. Now she's got that in her head and man, she pounded back and forth on that road spraying. And she didn't even work for us. She was working for forestry, yeah. but it didn't take long for forestry to be like, yeah, okay, keep yeah. doing what you're doing. We ran into Everett out there who was actually her boss. And yeah, I always love it when you run into those resources where you're like, okay, fire it and forget it, right? Megan, you got the beast, just pound this ditch line forever. Yeah. And she just back and forth, back and forth. It's actually funny. I haven't really talked to her just in passing, but I haven't got a chance to really sit and talk with her since. But they came up to the wooey course that we did in Wabasca earlier on in that year, middle of April. And I think there was some back and forth with Patrick and they're like, you know, like, this is really interesting, but you know, when are we going to have to use it? And it was, you know, Terrace always had it wrapped around his head. Like yeah. he, he knew and he saw that stuff. Right. So for them, it was kind of like, we really want to be here and we love that you guys invited us, but like, when are we, and now probably all the deployments they've been on, it probably just clicked and it's like, oh man, like that's exactly why we came to that course. It's right? honestly six months later and they're still both on, I was yeah. just chatting with them on messenger the other day and I mean, yesterday and they're still like you know one's in the northwest territories one's up in high level and just hammering and it out it, still yeah like i'm sure they got days off here and there as they got redeployed but honestly those trucks have been working for six months straight right so well and such a good organization that they took over from and it's funny because it always seemed like they're in the right place at the right time and it, it <laughs> i think i speak for a lot of people on the forestry and the the municipal side when those trucks pull up and it's just like that you know, like we have those guys here and those trucks are just amazing and they do great work and they're so versatile in what they can do. And yeah. they'll um, go anywhere and oh, do right? anything. Like, and <laughs> it's, it's, it's always such a sigh of relief. I remember being in high level in 2019 and you see them roll into town and we see them rolling through town in 2016 in Fort Mac. And it's just like, oh yeah, you know, we're, we're going to be good. Right. Yeah, like, something changed here. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I definitely, that night, you felt like Terrace was riding between the two of us <laughs> talking all night, right? Like all the things that he knew were coming, right? Yeah. So it's crazy to be missing him, but be so proud of his kids out there pounding away, doing great work, right? Yeah. So, I mean, and you can't 
you can't shortchange Renata sitting at home having the grub ready and the trailer out there, yeah. coveralls on yeah. and whatever she has to do to support the team, right? So uh, they're calling her the the CAO, I think now. Yeah. And, and so it's uh, it's fun to watch everybody banter back and forth and yeah. and get everywhere, right? Everywhere you go, you run into someone else you know, and they're they're talking about it. So Lesser Slave Regional Fire Service guys went to Fox Lake, Rainbow, Chate, Edson, Drayton Valley, Yellowhead County, Big Lakes, East Prairie. You had your own fire at the Old Smith Highway, which we'll talk about in a second. Whitefish and Fort Smith, Northwest Territories. So, you know, that's a big list. That's as many places as we did in four or five years back when I used to be here. The guys I work with from Chestermere got to go to Grand Prairie County, Edson, Drayton, Peavine, and then I, through them, got to go to a bunch of places too. And so it's crazy when you think, you just add that up, right? It's like 14 different places that these two fire departments went to. You know there's many fire departments in Alberta, many, many, many dozens that got to go to that many and more and kept it going all summer long, right? And it's hard to imagine how we're going to harness all of that experience and all of those lessons and take them from lessons observed and turn them into lessons learned, right? No, for sure. I think it was a big year for us, right? Lots of... The one thing I will say is, uh, as we get into the old Smith, is it was a very good learning point for us being down a deputy chief and only having me and chief to really deal with the resources and, and that stuff. We have some great officers that helped with a lot of it, but it is different when it's in, not in your area, which we knew, right? 2011, different feeling from 2016, from 2019, right? But you get to pick who you can send and what you can send and stuff like that. And then Old Smith Highway happens and it's not like that anymore, right? It's just, it's go, 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 go. And I've said this many times this year, you know, we got very lucky at the end of the Old Smith Highway. We even called in some resources on the second week there and Patrick came out from BC and Glenn came from Edmonton and we had guys who Lee Green is in the military now and he came back, right? So it's awesome having this group of guys who still care so much about this area that are willing to come back and help. But we probably only had three, four, five more days left in us. And and I don't know what would have happened if that rain didn't come and that didn't calm down because, and I see it on the flip side in Big Lakes County because somehow through all of that, they got absolutely the worst fire season they probably ever had in Big Lakes County. And then we show up to the Old Smith Highway fire and every morning, Big Lakes County trucks rolling in, right? And it's awesome because it's just like, it goes to show how well it works with all of us working together up here and stuff. And it's awesome that they were able to still find crews. Cause honestly, I think if it was flipped around, I, I don't know if we could have found crews still, right? And we're talking about two pretty large fire services in the grand scheme of things, right? We both have close to a hundred firefighters and probably, you know, close to around the same amount of equipment, 20, 30 pieces of apparatus. Like they're not small fire departments, but it's a lot to deal with, especially when it's in your own, you don't have a choice when you wake up in the morning and your own stuff's on fire. It's not, Oh, I'm going to sit this one out today, chief. Right. Like it's like, no, let's get up and get at her. Right. So, and it was crazy because I, like, it was really all about this lesser slave region for me, right? Like I came up to visit and I was like, I'll help you out. And it's happening everywhere else. So it's going to happen to you guys. And I kept coming back. I, I don't know how, but everywhere I went, Slave Lake was like a hub, right? As I went different places and, and I would just miss fires in the Slave Lake <laughs> district and be like, oh, I, you know, so I go up to Rainbow and the whole way I'm driving up there, you guys are doing the Old Smith Highway thing. And then 36 hours later, I'm headed back to go to Swan Hills and you guys are still fighting that fire and trying to figure it out. And 
I kept thinking, well, somebody's going to phone me and say, go to that fire, right? Go to Peavine, go to Slave Lake, go somewhere where those are my people. I know them. And I, it never really happened, right? Swan Hills was the first time where I went somewhere where it's like, okay, I know all these people. Yeah. I, know, <laughs> I know this area. I can help, right? But yeah, and, and every time I would come back through, you guys were nice enough to put me up. And I would wake up in the morning or I'd be sitting in the TV room for, you know, an hour waiting for my supper to cook. And yeah, Lee Green would walk in or yeah. Patrick would text me and say, I'm almost there and be like, what bedroom am I supposed to stay in? Because they're all booked. And it was cool to, you know, your texts are lighting up. Where are you? Where's this guy? Anyone see this person? And then we'd start sending pictures, right? It's kind of like, where's Waldo? And yeah. look at who I just saw. And did you see that person? <laughs> Those things are the amazing part of it, right? There's the good, the bad, the ugly, and definitely being able to see all the experience and your friends all over the place is the good part, right? The bad parts, they just don't outweigh the good parts. The good parts are you're, you're there doing the best you can. And I get home and I look through my pictures and there's like, I got to see wild bison and wild horses. And <laughs> I got to see Kevin Parkinson up in Rainbow from BC now, who I you know never get to see. And I walk in to check in in Rainbow and Pam Morrison's like, yeah. what are you doing here? I was like, well, what are you doing here? <laughs> Same thing, right? Yeah. You get over to Swan Hills and it's all the guys that you've been working with and helping out. And Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned her because that's, I texted you, I think, or I called you and you were the boss up in Chate there and you're helping with the Rainbow Chate, kind of all those little communities. And I called and I was like, hey, like, you know, we got some stuff going on in Slave now and I really need my truck back if you guys aren't using them. And they're saying that, you know, it's pretty protected now. All the sprinklers are set up in yeah. Chate and and you said, well, they're not really under me, but you know who's on check-ins? <laughs> Pam <laughs> yeah. Morrison. So I'm immediately getting Pam's number and I call her and I say, hey, I really need these guys tomorrow. And you always are the IC gets to decide who comes and who goes, but let's be honest, it's always the admin staff that are behind the scenes that can make things happen for you, right? Yeah. So she said, you know, it's fine. Get them to let the IC go. I'll sign them out tomorrow morning and they can get on the road. So I think our truck was on the road at 6 a.m. or whatever and, and got back at a perfect time, you know, right for peak burn. They jumped right in, had an already long night the night before, drove from high level all the way down and then jumped right in and, and helped in a huge way, you know, our own fire right outside of our own. And I think in a typical year, you don't have to make those decisions because there's lots of resources, right? Like Slave Lake, it was kind of, that's what was happening that year. Fort McMurray, that's what was happening that year. 2019, the high level stuff, that's what was happening. It wasn't all over the place. It was these, I mean, those fires got big, but it was those areas and everyone would go and do the best they could. This was like basically draw a line from Edmonton straight across and everything in the north had the possibility of burning to the ground. And so now you're like, well... Yeah, you know, we have six trucks. We need to let go of one. That means we still have five. Good, yeah, good enough. Now you guys will have four instead of three. Yeah, it was nuts. Every time you called in, those poor guys at the POC, right? Every time you call in there and they're like, which resources is where and who's going? And like, I was in Rainbow for less than 36 hours, and then they're like, we need you to go to this other place. It's like, all right, sounds good, right? Like, just put the kilometers on. I can't, it was like 6,300 kilometers in 14 days I put on, but. You just go where you're needed and help where yeah. you can. And yeah. so many of those places, when I was in Grand Prairie County, well, we never had a fire like this. Yeah, obviously, right? But when it's this dry, right? I think it speaks volumes too, too. It'll be interesting to see what the final number is. I don't even know if it'll come out, but we did some good work on the grand scheme of things too, because 
I think whether it was us or whether it was the fire gods that kept it away from the big towns, it's Slave Lake 2011, we lost a lot of structures. 2016 in Fort Mac, we lost even more structures. 2019 came right up to the side of high level and had a lot of potential to lose a lot of structures. But this year, it'll be interesting to see because it wasn't, like you said, focused on one area. It was just there was fire everywhere. But when I look at those areas, everyone was, oh, yeah, you know, you know we got our ass kicked here. East Prairie, we lost however many houses, 20, 30. And High Prairie South, you know, we didn't know how many houses for a while there. And I think, you know, the final number came back and it was a lot lower than I thought or I was expecting. And so I, I hope that this year when those final numbers come out, it'll show that we did some really good work and we had resources where we needed them. And whether, like I said, we got lucky and no big town got bulldozed right over. It was a lot of rural areas, but we did a lot of really good work in those rural areas too, right? Yeah. And I think that's like even the big towns, right? There's always the weather gods are going to make the call. People, oh, we did this, we did that. We saved this, we saved that. The weather, you know, just give the biggest credit to the weather. The wind turns, the rain comes, the wind dies down, the sun doesn't put off as much heat, the clouds roll in. Whatever happens to kind of save the day. I have yet to go to a fire where it's just like, it's 100% the firefighters, we did everything. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's the combination of the prep work, the firefighters, the structure protection, the bombers, the and then the weather, yeah. what the weather does. It was a cool, cool place to be in High Prairie too, because that was probably the place where that we were worried about, you know, Smith, definitely we were worried about for a little while but 500 person community as opposed to high prairie you know 2500 3000 but it was cool because in my head i was thinking there isn't trees that go right to high prairie so if we hit that range road and we have to evacuate high prairie like what's next and i look around i just see fuel but the good kind of fuel because you take a couple torches and we could have burnt off but scary times too right we might to keep it out of high prairie you might have to burn off hundreds of hectares of farmers fields just to keep it out of those little bushy areas and and all those fuel breaks right so it was cool to be in a place where you could actually think about that in slave lake you can't really think of that because there's trees right to your doorstep i'm not just going to go light trees on fire and right that's more of a forestry decision but in high prairie it's like hey we have a lot of forestry guys here we have a lot of support if we needed to we could burn all these fields off and stop that luckily it didn't come to that but it was definitely a thought that don't really plan on being in the white zone like being out there in the farmers fields doing the work that that we do right you're you think you're going to be in the green zone you think you're going to be surrounded by trees and i mean a lot of those places have a lot of farms around them but you forget that the roadways all have trees and there's chunks of bush everywhere and with those heavy winds with the ember showers that we were getting it's pushing kilometers at a time right and making headway like cruising all right, so we got to get the Old Smith Highway, right? So, <laughs> you know, you're down there for the 200th time <laughs> going to a fire on the Old Smith Highway. Walk us through your thoughts there as you were trying to get ready for that one. Yeah, you know, actually where it all started was we were in Swan Hills the day before. We got called just after lunch again and went up and supported Swan Hills. We did some good work. We sprinklered the hospital and the town office where the EOC was. And we had a couple of the water plant. We had some really critical infrastructure pieces that we wanted to come and help them with. And on the way back, it actually came in really weird for us. We get the notes on our phones and it came in as a train fire. And so we're like, oh, like, is this hazmat? Is this a a locomotive on fire? Right? Like we're kind of thinking weird. And as we get in our trucks and, you know, we kind of said to the guys, we're like, hey, you know, we're kind of done here. They're finishing up the last thing. 
we obviously got something going on, probably taking some of our resources. So we're going to start heading back that way. They didn't request us to come back or anything, but they said, yeah, sounds good. You know, we'll finish up this last water plant and we have a good plan. And so we start heading back and then we start hearing on the radio, right? It's not a locomotive fire. It's not a hazmat thing, which is good. But the train went through and started a few fires. And you could tell right away that they're really struggling with access, right? It, it's, a, it's a hard piece. You can't just drive on the tracks, right? It's kind of water, in the middle of nowhere. Muskeg water, everywhere. Yeah, exactly. So we heard them and they, they got in and they were working with forestry. And forestry got some crews in and we're like, oh, this is awesome, right? It's good stuff. And we're getting in there. And didn't really cross my mind at all. Like a later in the day fire weren't seeing crazy fire behavior. They they were getting in there and, and doing the work that needed to be done. And I just kind of drove home and I talked to Chief Quick on the phone and he's like, yeah, no, I think we're going to be good, right? Like it, forestry's getting in there now. And none of us really even thought that it would blow up into what it blew up into. So I go home, we clean up our stuff and go home and I go to bed and next morning we come in and it was another, you know, red flag day. Everyone's worried. And obviously it's but Smith, again, like wasn't really on our radar first thing in the morning. And, and then all of a sudden, you know, you get that phone call from, obviously we were over at, at weather briefing for the morning and anytime there's fires in our areas or, or just, you know, really warm weather, we're always over getting the lowdown on what the day looks like in our area and across the province through that awesome relationship with forestry. And kind of as we start going and we're, we're doing our thing and, then all of a sudden we get back from weather and it's phone call, hey, phone call, hey, phone call, hey, you know, like it, it, we're still doing it, but it's getting pretty windy. It's getting pretty hot. And and then all of a sudden it kind of took off and I jumped in 105, which I think me and that truck probably shared the same relationship <laughs> you and your truck shared. I went back and forth to High Prairie a lot of times, lights and sirens and that old girl. And it's kind of like old faithful at that point for me. So I jump in and we got toned for for support. So we knew it was some bad stuff happening and we're trying to manage resources. Where are we going to go? What are we going to do? And I just came down, I jumped in, I threw my wildland stuff on, I jumped in the truck and I said, I'm just going to go out and get a lay of the land. I'll figure out, you know, where we need to be, what we need to do. Chief said, yep, sounds good. So we start flying out. I think there was one or two people with me. I can't remember who. And Start flying out on the Old Smith Highway and and you can see it, right? It's there's some columns and and that's definitely one of those wrong times. color smoke. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I'm about halfway out and my tire just blows right off the rim. And oh no! And I'm like, oh come on, right? Like this is old faithful, like I said <laughs> for so long. And I immediately hung up, called the mechanic, and and Greg's like, yep, I'll I'll get it done. I, I don't know what I'll do, but I'll figure it out. I'll bring you another truck. I'll pick up that truck. We'll put a spare on, right? I'm a, I'm just like, I don't have time to put a spare on right now. I did, just don't. And so luckily, Connor, uh, who's a, a volunteer with us and also the conservation officer, I knew he was out in the area and they were talking about shutting down the highway, Highway 2, because it was going that way that night. It was kind of, or that afternoon, it was kind of going towards the highway. And he's like, yeah, we're waiting for the RCMP and Forestry's call to see what we're doing next. And I, I call him and I said, hey, man really weird, but I need you to come pick me up. Cause I'm sitting out here. I got a <laughs> truck with no tire on. I have someone with me and, and he's like, yeah, sounds good. Where are you at? So I gave him a kilometer and he flies around the corner, lights on and I jump in this conservation truck. So now I'm like trying to manage all this stuff and figure out a plan from a CO truck from the passenger seat. And whoever was with me, I said, just stay with the truck. And then that way Greg can get you on the radio. And when they, he gets here, help him, and then get in one Oh two and bring it to me. Okay. Sounds good. So we take off again and we fly down and we kind of get into this right before Smith kind of down the hill goes across the Athabasca. Just before that, we go down and 
it's actually where Patrick grew up. So we kind of had, I had an idea, right? I'd talked about it lots before and we get down to this field that was on fire a couple of years previous. So we knew where the fences were, the funny things that you remember. And <laughs> we open the fence and we go in and Sheldon Houle is sitting there <laughs> and uh, he has his, he's a different position this year, but he, he has his hard hat and he's, you know, kind of hiding his face and, <laughs> and I walk over and we start laughing and just planes and helicopters hammering this thing. But from where we are, like, right on the other side of the river it's it's going down right so and he starts talking he said yeah you know like we're making really good headway and all of a sudden it's just like blowing up on this side blowing up on this side and all of a sudden it's not safe to be here and so his whole crew there must have been 20 forestry guys in that field i think some fire attacks that he was with and they all like on helicopters emergency evacuated out of there to this field where they're now waiting to see what their next orders are and so it was nice. We got a kind of a lay of the land. He told us what fires blew up because there was three different ones. So told us, you know, this one took off, this one took off, this one we're still pretty happy with. And so that's good. It gives us an idea of it was actually the two on the south side of the tracks, not the one on the north side of the tracks, which is closest to the houses. So that's good, right? We're right on. That's good information to have. And it's pushing south now. So worried about the highway, but, you know, Hondo, some of those areas. But right now it has to jump a river and jump a highway so we can box it in. And they immediately started talking about aerial ignition and all that stuff. So all really good pieces and conversation to be had. And finally, 102 shows up. So I got a, a new truck and we're, we're ripping around and got some good plans and stuff in place. And we're, we're trying to figure it out and ended up not being a whole bunch for us that day, right? Luckily, we, we figured it out. The, working with Forestry, they I don't think they ended up closing highway two for too long but that was like a big rcmp show and then whatever else and all of a sudden like lots of calls right like campers are up there and all this stuff right and everyone's freaking out and so for us knowing the good relationship with forestry we knew right away that it was going to turn the next day with the winds and we're getting southeast winds which was not ideal for us and it was looking like it was Forestry doesn't like to give you forecasts for more than you know, the next 24 hours, <laughs> of but course not. Yeah. it looked like for the next couple of days, for sure, it was going to be pushing that Southeast wind, which usually we don't get a day of Southeast wind. So we knew that that was probably going to happen and finally get back to town. They got us a ride in the helicopter and we kind of figured out, couldn't get in there super close because the planes were going right to legal down, but kind of, you know, talked with a few of the forestry guys in the helicopter and they're like, you know, this is kind of the area that we think it might come up. We're worried about this little path, that little path, whatever. And so, okay, sounds good. We go back and me and one of the other captains, Dave, we sat down in the office and we start plotting stuff on a map. This is where we're going to go. This is how we're going to do it. And had a really good plan for the next morning, deployed our resources, fire turned, came right to us and <laughs> got some sprinklers up, got some engines to, you know, anchor on some houses. Unfortunately, the one little area of Old Smith Highway where there's like a cluster of homes is right where it came to. It's devil's luck, I guess, yeah. but we were ready. We had it. And that was a really big win for us. I think it was because of those deployments we had before that we had everyone switched on engaged and yeah. we used every single hall we had had equipment there almost every hall from big lakes at some point was there we had athabasca county athabasca town were there right so kind of calling on some of our mutual aid partners again Your and normal uh, neighbors yeah totally right and that's all you could use this yeah. year we somehow you know whether it was luck or, or skill or what <laughs> didn't lose any houses on the old smith highway and every day we had a new nighttime crew coming out and a daytime shift and we were able to figure that out and, and go back and forth there and every day we I remember coming to Patrick and I said you're taking over for me now and my goal <laughs> for the last three days was to not lose any houses so I hope your goal is the same and, <laughs> yeah. and he laughed and then you know the next morning he texts hey didn't lose any houses last night right I'm so, down with your goal <laughs> yeah exactly right so kind of every day it was just it was 
those little achievable goals that we just kept setting for ourselves. And every morning meeting, I think it got said, you know, seven days in a row, hey, you know what, guys, today, our goal is not to look for the future, but for the next shift, you guys are out here for 12 hours, 14 hours, our goal is to not lose any houses. And because we just set those little, little goals, we got it every day, which is awesome. You know, I, I heard that in Grand Prairie. I heard that when you're up in Chate and Rainbow, and you hear that where it's like, okay, we're not we're not having these big lofty goals, right? In seven days, it's going to be wrapped up and, you know, it's like, okay, for the next eight hours, we're going to not lose a house and we're going to do this and this. Okay, good. For the next 12 hours, we're going to do this and this. And so to me, I think all of the deployments, all of 2023 was really about those little wins and that one step before the, then the next step and then, and keep going versus, you know, the years where it's like, we have a massive event and everybody dumps in on it. Yeah. You could kind of have a little bit, you know, your goals can be a little more cocky, I guess. Yeah. This year was not not about that this was just let's not hurt anyone let's not lose any more houses right and then the next thing would happen and we'd lose a few houses but then we'd start to catch it and say let's not lose any more houses which I think is, you know, I, a good goal too. And I think that came up a lot was the let's be safe and look out for each other. And I was just reading a thing the other day and it's one of the worst wildfire firefighter deaths in Canadian history this year, right? Yeah. So again, the bad or the ugly side of it is that, you know, we lost some people in Alberta, BC, kind of across Canada in a profession we don't see as many in, right? Unfortunately, it just was a really bad year. And, and that was something that we just set out every day to say, you know, yeah, we don't want to lose any houses, but we all want to come home at the end of the day too. And it was one of those ones that hit home after East Prairie and some of that stuff that happened early on in BC. And let's stay safe. Eh? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good place to leave it right there. Like let's stay safe. Right. You and I are going to be together for the next few weeks. We're going to be talking to Nova Scotia folks about all kinds of deployments and stuff there. So we'll pick up some more of that safety talk there, but thanks for coming in today, sitting here, BSing with me about 2023 and excited. We got to work together and excited to see what they say when we get out to Nova Scotia. Then. Yeah, absolutely. I look forward to it. Thanks for listening to Growing Up Fire today. Follow me on Instagram at Chief Coots to comment or send questions. We appreciate your support.